0: This is Solem Literary Press. I'm your host, Riley Bounds, and this is the Solemn Podcast, where we discuss and examine the intersection of the modern renaissances in evangelical literature, philosophy, and spiritual formation. Today I'm excited to have Mike Bonikowski on the podcast. Mike Bonikowski lives and writes in Melanchthon, Ontario, with his wife and two children. When not writing poems, he works as a caregiver for adults with developmental disabilities. His chapbook, Red Stuff, was born out of moments of crisis, personal, emotional, spiritual, and professional. The poems in Red Stuff are attempts to take crises and turn them to worship. Red Stuff will be our first poetry chapbook publication under Solem. Very happy to have Mike.
1: Very happy to be here. Thank you, Riley.
0: Yeah. More information will be given in the show notes, including a link to his blog and social media if you wanted to find out more. So, Mike, welcome, and thanks for joining me today.
1: It's my pleasure.
0: All right. Well, why don't you tell us a bit about yourself, uh, namely, how did you come to Christ?
1: So, I was born into a Christian family. Um, it's very. I have a wonderful family. Um, and really, I... I'm one of those people where I, I can't remember a time in my life when I didn't know and believe, but it's really been it's been a lifelong journey of growing into that. Um, like I remember very young, like having a pretty comprehensive knowledge of Christian theology. Um, a lot of stuff I probably shouldn't have known at the age of four and not understanding it. Taking for granted that it that it was um, true, um, but then over the years, coming to understand what those things mean and what and what they mean to me, and and meeting the person of Jesus, um, and that's been that's been a very long a very long process, as it is for everyone. <laughs> it's it's yeah. uh, the work of a lifetime, but um, it's been a long. A long road with a lot of ups and downs um but um it's always it's always been there i've always tested it i've always doubted it but i've never been able to i've never been able to leave it i've never been able right. to not feel that that is the true story of the world and of the humans and of mm-hmm. god um yeah. And I'm very grateful for that.
0: I've yeah. 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 Um, when, when you were saying that you, uh, you found out things maybe you should have done it for, uh, do you mean something, uh, like you that you were able to suss out some deeper theological truth than, than most, uh, kids are able to, I don't know about
1: that. I, um, I was a very fearful child. Um, I'm a very fearful adult to be, to be perfect, perfectly honest, but I, um, I had a very highly developed sense of um, human depravity, I guess, at a very young, young age. Like the idea that people are fallen was something that hit me very young. Um, mm. And I internalized that and never really talked to it, to anyone about it. So I, I had a pretty hardcore Calvinist understanding at a young age. Um, Hmm. Used to think that I was going to hell regularly. Um, And I think that if I, if I had talked to my, to my parents about it, I probably would have found a lot of comfort and uh, Mm -hmm. discovered the other side of the gospel uh, sooner than I did. But um, I think I've always, been cursed to think that I understand everything um, when I really don't. And then as I grew up, I discovered that there was, there was much more to it and um, became less, um, less afraid and found um, the comforter who was also yeah. there as well as the judge. Um, and I mean, that has been a lifelong a lifelong journey as I'm sure it has been for many of us, um, of that ge- generation
0: particularly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I, I'm glad that you found the uh, found the balance there. So when was it that you discovered poetry?
1: I discovered poetry when I started writing it really, uh, which was never the plan. Um, it was never my intention to be a poet. Um, I wanted to be a novelist. Uh, I, I first started wanting to write in high school um, and found that, I mean, really, I'm a fundamentally lazy person, um, and writing has always been something that I could just kind of do. Um, and our school system being what it is, if you, can, if you can read well and write well, you kind of have a ticket through like there's math there too, but you know, that comes in later. Um, and I was, I was able to make people happy with words very early on. And that was um, something that I kind of leaned into as much as I could. And then I found that I could craft an identity around it, um, about being the broody, write her poet type. And I think that's really when I first started and it's been a long road to undo that. Um, And really a lot of my poems since then have been sort of a a willful attempt to deconstruct that lie that I told about myself to other people that I was this person. Um, Mm -hmm. But um, I did not want to write poetry. but I found that the things that I wrote that were actually good and that meant something to other people uh, and seemed to speak to them and seemed to help them and weren't just um, sort of an elaborate costume that I was wearing ended up being poems. Um, I went to Tyndale Un- University, uh, which is a Christian U- university in Toronto um, and I did an English degree there because it was essentially all that all that I could do um, and read a, read a ton of um, of uh, poet, poet, poetry there um, and ingested that and um, found much that I loved although poetry it's always been it's never what I would have chosen um, and in some ways I think it is it's the language of the soul in a lot of ways because um, it, it doesn't really make sense to me. I mean, there there, there have been... Um, there have been ages of the world where poetry's been, like, the thing, um, and this is not one of those times, and I'm not one of those people who naturally loves poetry, but there's there's just... There are things that you can't say in any other way, and I think that there are entire realms of human experience that you can't talk about in any other way. Prose just does not do it. Um, And the prose that does do it, I think it's debatable whether it's actually prose or not. I think it's really, it's just, it's poetry in a different form. Um, So, yeah, I hope that answers that question. It's a hard (laughs) question. It's one I feel a lot of shame about uh, because I feel like I, um, I don't really... I don't really deserve to be a poet um and I didn't really have a plan um it's just it's what came out and it's what's kept coming out um
0: yeah 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 um it's odd uh <laughs> I I actually uh when I was a kid I had the kind of same development as a uh, as a writer um I try to craft that uh you know brooding intellectual kind of vibe, you know, like I was cursed with um, (laughs) knowing so much and being this writer. You
1: feel too much, Riley. Yeah. People like
0: us. Yeah. So um, luckily, uh, at least hopefully, I grew out of that. (laughs) But, um, you know, so, yeah, I I, I resonate with that. So um, along with being a poet – um you're also a poetry editor over at ecstasis magazine um and we've had connor Statement on who's the uh, founder of ecstasis before um so i just wanted to ask how did you how did you meet connor how did that get rolling
1: that's actually a funny story um so i went to tyndale where connor also went but connor is quite a bit young younger than i am um so his father, uh, George was the Dean, the Dean of students at Tyndale when I was there and he, his father actually, it's not too much of an overstatement to say that he saved my, uh, my, uh, life. Um, I had a very severe depressive episode in my first year and he, he took care of me, um, in a way that I really needed. Um, and I was, I was going to a pretty bad place, um, and he did his job um, and a lot more than that. Um, so I knew Connor's dad and I knew of Connor. And I, ac- I actually met Connor at, uh, there was an arts day at Tyndale and uh, I believe Connor was 10 um, and he was selling his photography. And I actually have one of Connor's photos um, from what, like not older than 12 um, wow. that I bought from him. I think I was uh like I was 19 or 20 at the time, um, and I actually have it in my basement. It's a, uh, in a frame. It's called the Bugs Jungle, and uh, it's a great photo. Um, yeah. And I actually read poems at that at that at that event. So Connor probably saw me read. Um, and then I ran into Connor. So I sort of knew of Connor. Um, I graduated from Tyndale after quite a while. It took me a few years, and I think he was starting by the time. Maybe not. No, never mind. That timeline doesn't add up. Um, but um, I had a lot of connections there still, and I met him again at a um, at a reading that I was doing that my friend had put on, and he was selling. I think the first issue of ecstasis which I think he was like printing out in his basement at that point I have very vivid memory of him standing at a table with a box of ecstasis um and I think that was when we first really met um and um I started submitting poems to ecstasis um and he was very kind and published them um and that went on for a few years um and then when he was taking Extasis online and really expanding it and expanding his submissions, um, he needed, he essentially just needed people to be reading because he was getting so, so much stuff. So he very kindly asked me to come on um, as a poetry editor, um, which I did like pretty much full-time for a year. I'm less involved now because he is, he's actually doing it it's his full-time job. So he has less, less need, but I am still on there. Um, mm-hmm. And that's been, that's been wild. Like that's not something that I ever in a million years thought that I would, that I would be doing. Um, mm-hmm. That was, um, that was a very nice surprise um, to be working yeah. with Connor again.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, so what, what do you look for in poetry submissions to excises?
1: The short answer is honesty. Um, Mm. I really feel strongly that poetry has, it has the ability to be the most honest form of expression. And it also has the ability to be the least honest. It's very easy to sound profound in a poem. Um, And I I feel like there's a lot of that going around and I've certainly been been guilty of it many many times um that you don't really know what you want to say so you say it in obscure way and then you hit send um and um when someone is able to craft a poem that tells the truth um and is also beautiful. Um, like I'm kind of hitting the basics there, but um, I look for poetry that costs the person something to write it. Um, Cause I think it is easy. It's easy to fake it. Um, and it's easy to make other people feel bad or feel angry or feel um, those feelings and not have felt them yourself. But if you're, tears are in it if your anger is in it if your blood is in it if it if it hurt you to write um I definitely do tend to gravitate more towards darker stuff but um that's what I what I look for I look I look for someone who is telling the truth and and also who knows how to write I mean really that's um that's part of it um right And I don't claim to have um, a profound understanding of what it means, like what makes a poem good. Um, I think it's an instinct more than anything. I've, I've read a lot um, and I think I have a nose for it. Um, I wish I could say more than that. There are definitely people who are way more qualified to be poetry editors than I am. I will tell you that much. Um, but... Um, I've enjoyed it. I've enjoyed it, and I've met some wonderful people, yourself included. Oh, thanks. um, Which uh,
0: has made it all worthwhile. Yeah, Um, yeah, yeah. There's there's a lot of there's a lot to say there. Um, What I really love about uh, Red Stuff, your chapbook, is that a lot of the poems read like psalms. Um, and I also want, I also wondered if maybe that was a a big inspiration for you.
1: Um, Absolutely. Um, the book of Psalms is my favorite book, like, and it, and it has been since I was a kid. Um, and I think going back to being a fearful child, um, like the Bible, my Bible scared the hell out of me as a kid. Like I was a kid who was reading it alone, like from the age of seven or eight and finding a lot of scary stuff there. Um, and um, Psalms were where I would go and I'd find the things that made me feel better. Um, and like, I've read the book of Psalms many, many, many times and I still do. And really like that's, it's, I'm really happy that you picked that up because I didn't even realize that myself until fairly recently that that that, that is like, it's in my blood. Um, And I will I'll I will write things that I I don't even realize are are from there. And then I'll realize later that I've ripped it off from David. But um, it is it's deeply a part of my of my makeup. Um, Yes.
0: Yeah. Um, One of the prior guests on the podcast, Bethany Bringen, has said, like, you can't necessarily trust writers to know exactly what it is that they, that they write or why oh. they write it. Um, and uh, so that, that's kind of why the, the criticism literary critics are, they're necessary in some ways um, as, as long as they remember their place. Um, so, uh, so yeah, no, I, yeah, that, that's why I really loved it. It reminded me of sitting down and reading the Bible um, and and that's, Uh, a big a big part of why I I chose to publish it so um but why don't you just uh, tell us a bit more about Red Stuff generally so Red Stuff it's interesting um Red Stuff
1: is really it's a compilation it's um it's a gathering together of the poems that I've written I've written hundreds and hundreds but these are these are the ones that have stood the test of time for me and that when I'm reading through everything like these are the ones that um, that do the things that I was talking about that 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 I feel are telling the truth about where I was when I wrote them that aren't trying to sound smart that aren't trying to impress people. Um, that come from times when I was told something that other people might want to hear, um, and I've been thinking a lot about it because I've I haven't written very many poems recently, and I like this has always happened. Like I've I've never been much of a content producer. Um, and I, I'm hard on myself for that because I often just think it's because I'm not working hard, 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 hard enough at it. I'm not getting up early enough. I'm not, I'm not grinding hard enough. And I don't think that's necessarily the case. I, um, like these poems, they're gifts. Um, and they're gifts for me, I find. Because I, I used to think that I, my poems were for other people. And really, I realized that when I wrote a poem, it was it was God giving me something, not for Him, not for the kingdom, but for me, uh, because it made it allowed me to use a part of myself that makes me feel whole, if that makes sense. Um, and I think that if nobody ever read these poems, they would still be what what they are. Like they were when my inner storms were able to still enough to to see to see something um, and to take out from all the awful feelings something um, a distillation of what was actually going on and where God was in it. Um, if that makes sense, um, a lot of these poems they're they come from pinch points like, when you're working with a machine and there's like a warning sticker on it because there's, there's two pieces of, uh, of a metal come, come together and you keep your, uh, hand, hand out of it. Um, these are pinch points where I've been squeezed by things in my life and this is what has come out. Um, and, um, I'm grateful for that. Um, And again, like, I never, I don't really know if there's anything in them for, for other people, um, but it's something good that's come out of that place for me. That's, that's made, that's made me feel like there's a story being told that there's, there's a purpose, that there's structure, that it's not just chaos, um, that, that there's verse there, that there's, um, there's poetry, um. That things are rhyming and that there's a meter to what's going on. That it's a little bit of a heavy-handed metaphor. Um, Mm -hmm. But uh,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, I another thing I really loved about it is that I I feel like I'm invited in to the poems. Um, You know, you're you're not trying to construct some like private room or mythology or something just for you um e- even if you kind of felt like that when you when you were writing them um there, there's something very warm um about the poems uh i i just i, I feel good I, I feel good when i when i when i read them um that makes me really happy yeah yeah have to say so, yeah yeah I, I think that um e- even if, even if this was a processing thing for you um a lot of people might might need that too uh, and that, maybe that'll help the process uh, but I did want to talk about the title um so well what what does the title mean um and uh, what is the title poem about so red stuff
1: I don't know if you'd like me to read it um sure why don't I read it and then go ahead You will have context. Red stuff. Down by the river, my little son is snapping twigs and tossing them to see the runoff carry them. I watch till my mind wanders off. What's that red stuff? I hear him say. I look down absently to see his white star fingers staining red with a thing he has no word for. He is not afraid to taste it and the pain has yet to arrive I see the moment when it does and I watch his face grow older when tears dry and the wound is bound I teach him what the red stuff's called as I look up at that old tree and swear that we won't eat this time um so this is I was down by the river with my son who was two or three at the time and um he cut his hand and he didn't know what, what the blood was. Like he didn't know what it was called. Um, And that was just such a, it was such a moment for me because like, what is blood? Like blood is it's life and it's death and it's the means of our redemption. And it's such an awful thing. It's, it's everything that is best and worst about, about, human experience um Mm -hmm. and i chose this poem for the for the title um and honestly i think that the title is the best part of the poem and it's i didn't even write it it was my son um but i feel like red stuff is i mean that's what makes christianity christianity it's it's the red stuff it's god becoming man Um, And then having the worst thing that could possibly happen to a human happen. And then out of that, having the best thing that could ever be conceived of happen. And um, I think that that's, there's so much in that. And I think that the best parts of life are those, those visceral human moments um, that hurt. They hurt so badly, Um, but they are what it is to be human. And they're also what it is to be a spiritual being and, it's what it is to be both of those things. And, um, yeah. Um, so that was why I chose that as sort of the title poem, because I feel like that's a through line that runs through all of my work is, um, mundane, everyday, physical, painful things. Um, and how, and how God, um, turns all of that to his glory um Mm -hmm. and what a wonderful thing that is but it doesn't doesn't make it hurt any less um unfortunately yeah but it makes yeah Mm it gives the hurt a purpose
0: yeah yeah um yeah I, i love that um so along with uh your um uh, Red stuff dealing with personal crises and and uh, mental health struggles. Um, it also deals with your work in a disability home.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, so why don't you tell us about that?
1: So, um, I have been blessed in my life to have had close relationships with people with intellectual disabilities. Like going again back back to my to my to my young young child childhood. Um, my parents' best friends had a daughter who had severe autism, who I grew up with. Um, so that was something that was normal to me, um, and that has been really um, a theme through my through through my life. I've continued to meet these amazing pe- people um, who have taught me so much, um, and I spent a lot of time volu- volunteering with. With the DD class the um, uh, developmental disability class at at my high school and it's it's always been been something that I've wanted to be a part of. Um, I never thought it would be my job um, because I was going to be a famous writer of course. Um, So when I went to Tyndale I um, well actually it's interesting because I started going for a social work degree uh, to do something in that field and then like failed horribly. And the, the only thing that I was passing was English uh, because I could fake my way through it. Uh, Cause I was pretty much falling apart at that, at that, at that, at that point. Um, and then I, um, I was writing more and more, um, had no plans for a job. Um, but then in my fourth year, someone was like, well, why don't you, why don't you work in a group home? Uh, and I was like, Oh yeah, that whole thing that was like, clearly the direction my life has always been going but that I'd somehow had my head too far up places to see anymore um and um I started working there and the minute that I walked through the door like I I knew I I knew that I was home um like I knew that I was doing the other half of what I was made for um and um I've been, I've been working in group homes for 15 years now. Um, It's what I do. It's what I will always do. Um, And it's, it gives me life. Like it's, it's where I see Christ more than anywhere else. Um, Like it absolutely uses me up and spits me out. It's a very hard job Um, Mm -hmm. and not because of the people, but because of the system. Uh, which unfortunately is deeply flawed um but like it's that's the death that I would choose like I like it's 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 a job that devours you but it's worth it um it's uh it's worth whatever you can give it but it does it it's um yeah and um it 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 inspires a lot of my writing um I'm actually working on a novel about it that I've been working on for like 10 years or so, which hopefully at some point we'll see the light of day, but that's sort of my other long-term project. Um, mm-hmm. um, but um, it's, um, there's a lot of pinch points there um, you see a lot of things and there's a lot of, I mean, there's a, just, there's a lot of, you see with people with 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 developmental disabilities um like everything that really makes people people that most people have learned how to hide it's not it's not hidden so it's it's just there all of the time um out in the open and that is such a gift um, because you see these things that you've hidden from from yourself even Um, and you forget that that's part of who you are too. Um, and these people don't, don't hide it in many cases, can't hide it. Um, and it forces you to come to terms with it. And it just, it makes you such a wiser and a better person. Um, and, um, yeah, Yeah, I could talk all day about that.
0: So, you know, I don't, I don't want you to air any dirty laundry or anything, but, um, if you could just wave a magic wand or if you could have it your way, uh, what would you change about the system that you work in?
1: So the tragedy of the system, I don't know how it is in the States, but in Canada, the system is quite well, well-funded. The problem not money. The problem is that there aren't enough people who want to do the work. Um, so the people who do do the work are there working too too much and burn out um i would i would find i just i would i'd show people what i've been shown and how it's changed me because it is honestly it is the best job in the world um like it's there's there's nothing like like it and like anybody could walk in there and get a job like today because we're so desperate for staff um And people don't because people are scared. Um, Because again, like you see things that our society is so intent on hiding. Um, Like the human body period, like and the things that can happen to it and what happens when it's not working and death and these things that happen to everyone, because that is that is the thing is you're helping people with things that we are all going to need help with someday like there's going to come a time when somebody's going to be wiping my bum and uh i have to think about that every day and that's a hard thing to think about but we're all going to get there if we don't die first um like these are not these are not limited experiences that only these people are going to experience like this is stuff that we are all going to experience the good and, and and the bad but in our society where we put old people away as far as possible and sick people. We don't think about it until it's our turn. And then it's, it's too late. And then we're on the other side. Um, And that is very frightening to people because they're not used to it. Um, And I think that if there was a way for people to experience this, the way I was given the gift of experiencing it at a young age um, and seeing the beauty and the humor and the joy in it. um, I wish that I could show people that uh, because I think, I don't think we'd have a staffing problem anymore um, because that is the biggest thing, but
0: uh, yeah, just finding people to do the job. So um if you could like encourage people in that way to, to do it, um, to go into that line of work, uh, do you have any, any ways of making that seem more, uh, accessible to people or more enticing?
1: I would say just, just meet the people. Um, so I have a friend named Jason who, um, has Asperger's syndrome syndrome, and I met him in my grade nine gym, gym class. And he, he has changed the course of my entire life. Um, I wrote an article about this actually that I'll send to you, but um, in grade nine gym, um, I decided that I was going to be his gym partner and spend time with, with, with him. Um, and this is not a person that, most grade nine boys would want to hang out, hang out, hang out with for a lot of, a, a lot of different reasons. But I, for some reason I was given the grace of being, of being able to do, to do that. And I'm not really sure why, but it like, it, um it changed my life. Like I, I really cannot express how different and how much better my life is. And I see him all of the time still, like, this is someone that I met like in 1999, like I spent nine, nine 11 with, with him. I have this very vivid memory of us watching TV together um, and him saying very inappropriate things. Um, but um, it was just that one friendship which he wanted so desperately. Like, he came for me and I let him. Um, and because I let I, I let him it, into my life, my life has been so much better. And um, these people are it's not an uncommon thing like we all know and have met people with disabilities who don't respect our boundaries um and if you let them they will make your life better um but it's um it's not an easy thing to do and it's really it's um um it involves a lot of a lot of death to yourself, death to your ego, death to your pride, death to your image of yourself and what, who you are. Um, and I mean, I think it's, I think it's wrapped up in, in the gospel also in a lot of ways. Like, I think it's, um, it's dying and being born, born again. And, um, Sorry, I'm going
0: off. No, here, no. But,
1: yeah. uh, this is something I feel very passionately about. But it's also not easy. It is not an easy thing, and it goes against every every instinct that most of us have, right. um, and that our society has.
0: Um, right. Yeah. Um, you know, I'll share too that, like, I mean, I we we all know of the uh, the rampant mental illness and homeless communities. Yeah. Um, And yet I, you know, um, I, I, I don't really do much about it because honestly, I'm scared. Um, yeah, I, I, I do for, for whatever reason, I, I fear them. I have no idea what to do around them. Um, and when, when people, I mean, I think when I, when I see like a schizophrenic person or something like that, I have no idea what to do. Um, so what, what would you say to people like me who like have that, um, uh, maybe may a rational fear in a way. It's hard. It's hard to say. I would say,
1: I would say to pray, honestly, I would say to ask God to show you the person who you're meant to meet. Um, Cause I mean, like that was what happened to me. It was a specific person. It wasn't like, I didn't set out to find someone with a disability and be their friend. Someone like, like God sent Jason to me. Like I have no doubt about that at all. Um, mm-hmm. Like he is the reason that I'm in the work that I'm in now. He's the reason that I have the specific job that I, I have, I have now, which is, like, it's it's only been good for me. Like I have been, I have been the beneficiary of our, of our friendship. It was a specific person, and I was called to it. Um, so I'd say, I'd say, ask God to send you someone like, like, I don't think we all need to go out and find that person for our own benefit. I think that if, um, I think that if you ask God to show you, he will just kind of, hmm. it's kind of a lame answer, but, um, cause it is scary. It's very scary. Um, and it can be dangerous. Like there's no way around, around, around that. And like, um, Mm -hmm. like I'm not, I'm not working with like people who are street, are street involved. Like that is, that is another world. And that's, it's the same. It's the same. It's the outcasts. And, um, we're, we're afraid because we see what we're afraid, um, could happen to us and it can happen Mm -hmm. to us. Um, Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I work with people who have, um, acquired brain injuries who were leading lives very similar to mine. And then we're in, we're in a car accident. And then all of a sudden, like they are, their lives are completely different and they don't, they're, they don't have power over their lives anymore. Um, Mm -hmm. and I, that's what I think people like that can do for us they can pull aside the illusion um, that we are in control because we're really not but it's so we need to believe we are um and to yeah to um to see that we're not is is terrifying um Mm -hmm but it also means that it's not up to us anymore. And I think there's a great freedom in that. Um, I think there's a letting go of burdens. um, If you can trust that because you're not in control, someone else is right. But sorry, that's that's not a very good answer. No, no, (laughs) That is a hard question, Riley. And I don't, I don't, I don't want you to think that I'm walking around like making friends with everyone I meet. Um, Also like, in my life now, like I am being paid, which is, it changes things. It it changes things and not entirely for the better. It allows me to spend way more of my time with the people that I support than I would otherwise if I was volunteering, but it also changes the relationship. And in many ways it ruins it. Um, So I, I don't, I don't, I don't want you to think that like, this is my job. It didn't used to be and it is now. And that's, that's a whole nother conversation. Um, Mm -hmm. It's kind of like, uh, it's kind of like writing once you're being paid, it's different. Um, It changes it whether you want it to or not.
0: Yeah, no, I I think that there's a lot there Um, and yeah, I, you know, I I wish that I could be less fearful. Um, But I, I mean, I think a lot of people who have the same kind of fear they they don't just fear people with disabilities. I mean, they fear people generally, yes. um, you know, so, I mean, there, there's a multitude of factors here. Um, yeah. But hope, hopefully, you know, we can find uh, enough bravery um, to, to, to do what we need to do for the, for these people. Uh, Cause we are, we are called to take care of them. Um, yeah. Yeah. If I could just
1: add i i I carry an immense amount of guilt around because I'm not helping this group and this group and these and these and these people and I just I really don't want this conversation to be making people feel bad because they're not doing exactly what I am doing. The other thing is that people are called to different things, and I really think if you are doing what God is calling you to do that God is going to look after these people but I mean, people need to be doing what they're called to do. You need to follow that. Um, and not everyone is called to the same thing. And that's okay, too. Um, I just want to add that because I'm, I'm a person who, like, yes, I have huge, a huge problem with guilt. And I really don't want to be putting that on anybody else. Um, mm-hmm. Because guilt never did anybody any good. Um,
0: yeah, It's a paralyzer. No, yeah, I, I appreciate that. Um, yeah, I mean, we, we do tend to uh, beat people over the head with what they have to do. Um, and yet, you know, w- that doesn't really help exactly. Uh, so, so yeah, no, I, I appreciate that. Um, but back on red stuff. Um, so what, what I kind of picked up, um, along with the uh, field, the Psalms uh, that red stuff evokes, I felt a bit of the romantic poets in a way. Um, I, uh, you know, there are moments where you know you throw in the occasional, like oh, you know, whatever, um, mm-hmm. and you know that that's you just kind of let it ride. Um, so I, I, I kind of wondered, I wonder if he's in that in that vein there. Um, but what what it does is it appropriates these kind of romantic images, you know, like uh, a wolf or or whatever. Um, and then it uses it with more uh, adult or darker or more visceral themes. Uh, so, for one thing, I just wanted to ask if you'd agree with with what I just said. Um, and do you uh, do you actually look to them for inspiration?
1: I love the rom- the, rom- the romantics, and I read a lot of them. Um, not lately, I wish I could say that I had, but um, they're definitely in the mix um, mm-hmm. and I I have a lot of sympathy for them. Um, my professor at Tyndale was a romantic scholar, like he did his uh, doc- doc- doctorate in them and hated them, like just hated them and would just go <laughs> off um, uh-huh. on how the romantic poets essentially were responsible for um, uh, the decline of Western civilization. Um, which i don't necessarily agree with um and i definitely like when i read them i'm like these are people like these are people who think and feel much as i do um and uh definitely um the focus on the sublime is something that i resonate with um i spend a lot of time outside um i spend a lot of time in the woods and the fields walking around less than I would like to. Um, and that sense of like walking around, thinking about your, your feelings, I think, is, is fairly key to the, rom- to the romantics. Um, and I do throw in the occasional "o" because it just seems sometimes there's just not a word. There's mm-hmm. just, just oh. So mm-hmm. you're definitely not wrong about yeah.
0: the romantics. Yeah, no, um, I I like that you that you have kind of this effusive emotional uh, energy with red stuff. Um, That's what I found kind of endearing about it. Um, And, uh, you know, I also share like, I, you know, in my undergrad, I I experienced just a lot of elitism and snobbery again, against the romantic poets and against that style. And I kind of wondered if you didn't feel the same. For sure. Yeah. for sure. I think there's uh, I think,
1: I mean, I think they had a lot of influence for a long time and that was sort of seen as the only valid, like, this is what poetry is. And there's, there's been a huge back, backlash against, against that, like for the entire 20th century. And that continues. And I do find, yeah, I mean, there's, there's, there's certainly a lot to make fun of there. Um, but there's, I mean, there's a huge amount of, a value to, um, I don't want to get in over my head here, Riley, because I think you're, uh, I, I think you're uh, in a different glass when it comes to literary criticism. Got so, it.
0: Um, no, yeah, I, uh, I mean, there, there is this kind of prejudice nowadays against something being sappy or emotional or, or something like that. But it's like, well, I mean, if, if you have, if you, Severely lack that in the poem. I mean, it kind of rips the heart out of it. Yes. Then it becomes something cold and um, maybe empirical, scientific, you know. Um, Or a weapon, I find. Like, a lot of poetry, Mm -hmm. I find, is just...
1: It's intended to hurt you. It's intended... um, And there is a place for that, but I don't think... I don't think you should leave someone
0: there. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I've even found that I'm, I'm guilty of that. Uh, you know, there, there's a lot of um, academics and literary scholars and editors, they, they give a lot of leeway to something like a, a piece that's really dark. Uh, you know, e- even if we would say like, it's not exactly a good poem or a good piece. I mean, we'll still accept it because, well, it deals with rape or it deals with, uh, you know, some um, really horrendous act of violence or something like that. We think that's some kind of pushing boundaries or whatever. And it's Mm -hmm. like, well, is it really? I mean, you know, these these acts of violence have, I mean, they're ancient, you know? Yeah. There's nothing new to them. So. that's true. So yeah, I, I I really like that, um, you know, you you have a balance here with uh, the kind of the dark material that you use in red stuff and dealing with that, but you're also trying to redeem it, um, and that 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 was what I really loved with the tone of red stuff. So, um, but I also wanted to ask, as far as as far as what you're looking for in your poetry for ecstasy, uh, do you kind of want that to emulate? a romantic style, or, or is there more um, leeway there?
1: I try very hard to keep an open mind. Um, I try to not just be picking poems that are my style, because um, I do, I mean, I'll get in trouble for this, but I do think that poetry is subjective. And, uh, like, when I'm picking poems for ecstasis, um, which, again, I'm, I'm not doing a lot of current, currently uh, but i hope to again in the future but um i want there to be stuff in there that's that's going to speak to other people not just me um and again i'm looking for that um for that core of of passionate truth i guess you could say um so i do deliberately try to select things from different styles especially styles that are not necessarily my favorite but i mean i obviously have a soft spot for it um and if it's done well it's amazing
0: um and, and it, it is honestly hard to do um nowadays. yes oh yes yeah i mean it, it's it's hard to kind of uh just unravel your heart while also like you know not being saccharine or anyth- anything like yeah. that um it, because I mean I guess, I guess I should qualify what I said earlier there is, there is kind of a line you know where, where it does become almost um, like self-pitying you know yeah and it's like well that's that's not really attractive whether it's in a poem or whether it's you know something else So yeah so yeah um, another tenet of red stuff that I noticed was that a lot of them are doxologies. And they kind of exist yeah. along alongside these poems that are making sense of crises and and
1: yeah. all that,
0: which I thought was really beautiful. Um, and they they kind of they use somewhat archaic language, but they use like a contemporary imagery and, and subject matter. And I just kind of wondered if you might tell us a bit about um, the motives behind that and if you were if you were trying to do that. I really love liturgy.
1: Um, that is, a, that is a tradition that I, I find it deeply comforting. Um, when you read these things from a thousand years ago or 1500 years ago um, that resonate today. Um, and um, I just I love the language. I, I love that it's that it's so old, but it's still clearly talking about the same person. Like it's talking to a person that I know, even though it was written like in you know, um, like 385 or, um, 1100. Like I find that I'm a bit of a history buff. So I, I love, I love old things, but, um, so that is just something that I love and, uh, want to try to do. And I read a lot of that stuff. So that language is definitely in my head a lot. And when I'm trying to say something in a way that sounds beautiful, like that to me, is beautiful, and if I could pull that off, like something that is so so simple but so rich, um, I would just really love to do that um, as a writer. Um, I also really love um, the church year. Like, I love I love the passage of time. I love how things come around again and again and again, um, and they say something different to you every time. Um, Mm-hmm. So most, like, I, I almost always write a, write a poem at Christmas. Like this, this year, I wrote, I, wrote, I wrote like six. Um, I always write a Good Friday poem. I always write an Easter poem. Um, and it's just, it's really my way of, of marking the feast. Um, mm-hmm. It's my way of trying to get down to the heart of it again and, um, and it's nice now because then I can put it. I can put it on Facebook or 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 whatever, and I find that like it helps other people mark the feast, and that's that's really special to me. Um, so a lot of those poems came from there, and I also I'm a bit of a news junk junkie um, mm. and a bit of a Twitter addict. Um, so when there's a lot of upsetting things in the news, which is often. Um, I find that I will try to sort of synthesize um, my anxieties about these things into that sort of prayer. Um, um, for example, there was a there was one here that I wrote um, after Notre Dame burned burned down because that was I found that extremely upsetting. Um, just mm-hmm. the image. Um, and I've written like a few about climate change and things like, like this, and just things that I'm things that I'm scared of, um, and trying to put them in a context in which I don't have to be afraid anymore. I'm not ignoring it. I'm not pretending that it that it that it doesn't exist. But I'm putting it in the context of my faith and the context of knowing that it's not the end, you know, it seems like the end, but it's not. Um, and remembering that.
0: So do you think that uh, doxologies are kind of a lost art in modern Christian poetry?
1: Um, I don't see a lot of them. I think they're out there. Um, I, um, I think there's been a big resurgence, especially of, liturgical, um, prayer. And I actually, um, I don't know if you're familiar with, um, the rabbit room out of Nashville. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's a, it's a Christian artist collect collective. Uh, and they, they put out a book called every moment holy, um, which is like prayers for like it's like a prayer for like leaving on, on vacation and like when your pet dies and like everything and these beautiful prayers and many of them are actually um oh. doxologies um, but they're very very modern like they're about things that happen now they're 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 not about necessarily you know um, killing the fields not that that's something that people don't still do because it definitely is but um, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so they're definitely out there um, and I think that I think these things always come around again I think that there's I mean a lot of art is fashion and there's definitely fashions come and go and I think that's okay like I don't think I think these are forms um, and it's okay for them to take different forms.
0: Right. Yeah, um, piggybacking off of uh, the doxology uh, question, would, would you call Red Stuff a book of worship poems or do you think it's more a book of personal reflections mixed with doxologies?
1: I think the poems in there that are really worth something, I think, are both their personal reflections um, that I've been able to turn to worship, which I think is sort of the right function of everything humans do. Like, I think that's what we are made for. um, And I think that's what we need to be doing all of, all of, all of the time is turning all of our work and all of our, experiences um to worship and I often find that it is it's the only way to deal with certain things um and that's really where most of these poems came came from I had thoughts and feelings that I could not I couldn't sleep them off I couldn't I couldn't eat them off I couldn't talk them off like and I had to get rid of them because they like I just I couldn't couldn't live with them inside of me. And I was able to express them in this way and turn them into bring them out into the sun and um, see them in the context of everything else. Cause inside of, inside of people, it's, um, it's dark, right? You can't see what things are. Um, you can't, um, you can't get that, View of it, um, and a poem is a way of taking it out of that dark space and bringing it into the light. And I, I really think that when you really look at anything, eventually you have to look at it. Um, it can either be an avenue for despair or an, an opportunity for the for despair, or it or it can be an opportunity for worship. Um, And I've tried I've tried to do that um, with these because the alternative was there was no alternative. Right. Um,
0: So let's talk about a bit about why why it is you you write. Um, Are you motivated more by being a poet yourself or are you more motivated just by what poetry can do for you?
1: I, um, as I said before, I'm a very lazy person, um, and I don't enjoy writing. There are writers who write because they love it. Um, they love the act of writing. They love to play with language. They love to craft things. Um, they take pleasure in doing that. And that is wonderful. And I wish that that was me. I've tried to make that be me and it's not, I, um, Like writing for me, it's like, it's like, it's like taking my uh, skin off. Like it's, Mm. it's, um, it's painful and it's, it's intimate and it's not something that I would do if I didn't have to do it. Um, so most of my writing comes out of necessity. Um, it comes out of needing to, and I guess the word is catharsis, but, um, getting it out of me and into a form in which I can I can deal with it Um, and that form is usually a poem it's uh, it's it's actually having the words out in pen in my little book Um, Mm -hmm. that is deeply like that's something that I need to do Um, and then once I'm doing it I absolutely love it and I feel more alive than I've ever felt in my life and I feel like a fish that is swimming again and doing the thing that I was made for. And I'm like, well, why aren't I always doing this? Um, and that feelings there and then it goes again. And then every poem that I, that I write, I feel like that's it. Like I'm, I'm done. I will never write again. And then all of a sudden I'll be writing again. Um, and I'm, I'm grateful for it. It's not something that I can so much turn on and off. Um, And I've had to come to peace with that because it used to be that if I wasn't writing, I, I felt, I felt bad. Like if, if I had free time that I wasn't using, um, to do that, then I wasn't using my gifts. And, um, then I forced myself to write and I just couldn't like, I, I would, I would sit there and just produce garbage garbage or nothing. Um, like when I was 21 or 22, I, um, decided that I I was going to try to make it as a writer and I like stopped working and was like just gonna write and that was like it was make or break we were gonna burn burn the boats and just this was gonna be it and I just like I produced pretty much nothing um Hmm. and then like after I got married and had little kids and was working full full time and essentially had no free free time at all I found that I was that I was producing more work than I'd ever produced. I'd have like seven minutes before the kids woke, woke up. And I, I, I'd, I'd have a poem and um, it wasn't about the amount of time. It was about getting out of my own way, I think more than anything else. And not thinking about myself, thinking about other things, experiencing other things, um, being in relationship with other people and not just sitting alone in my basement. Um, then, those things were inside of me. And then when those moments came, I had it there. Um, and there was stuff to come out. Um, right. That makes sense.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, so in that way, uh, we've already covered how in this way, it's kind of an act of worship, but do, do you feel closer to God when you write, or maybe, maybe after you, you're looking at the poem and it's there. I mean, do you feel closer then? I do. I do. Um,
1: I really do. Um, Cause I, I honestly, I, I feel like God's given me some, something like, I feel like he has, he's made a way out for me. Um, he's made a way out of the headspace that I was in. He's um, and the really, the really amazing thing is, is that sometimes the poems speak to other people too, which is never something that I'm, that I'm at ex- expecting. Um, and that like, that is such a gift. Um, and, um, no, I, I do. I definitely feel there's that word again, feel, but, um, (laughs) I, um, something is happening there and I, it's, it's a gift is what it is. It's a gift that I'm given once in a while. Um, it makes me feel better. Um, which is kind of him because he doesn't have to do that. And he
0: does. Yeah. Yeah. I, I wish that uh, more, more poets have that attitude uh, toward poetry. Um, so wrapping up then as an editor, uh, what would you like to see more of from the Christian literary scene? And less of for that matter. I think I'd like to see
1: less, um, less backlash against perceived cultural trends like i find and i've definitely been guilty of it that um people writing with one eye on what they don't want to be or what they they think is the problem with culture today i just i don't find that that is conducive to creating good art um Hmm. I find that it makes you way too self-conscious and people are just thinking about what they don't want, want to be or creating an alternative to something like, I think the less I just, I I just don't think that's how art's made. Um, And I could be wrong here. I am not an expert, but um, I think um, just honesty, I think is again, the biggest thing that I'm that I'm looking for and less um, I don't know about less I um, honestly the more poems that I read the better the better I feel the happier I am because I know that people are, are out there doing it and I know that like it's pretty obvious right off the bat if somebody's writing a poem because they really want to be published Um mm-hmm. And I think that's always the danger Um, and especially in like the Christian literary world, like it's a pretty small bubble. Um, And it's hard because like you want, you want to be published obviously, but I think um, it's really easy to fall into the trap of just trying to, trying to write what you think the editor wants Mm -hmm. to hear. And I don't know what I want to hear. I want to read something that I've never read, read before. Um, Something that is surprising, something that's going to make me see something that I haven't seen before. Um, And I think that that's possible for everyone, but um, it's only possible if you're, if you're speaking from your, from your heart. is a terrible thing. I can't (laughs) believe I just said that but um no i mean, what it, I mean.
0: It, yeah it's, it's at least it's honest you know um and uh yeah i mean it's just true you know i i don't i don't want to be uh you know um placated i, I don't want to be uh i want somebody to ingratiate themselves to me just to be published or anything like that yeah yeah so i mean um, you know I'd rather receive a poem that's honest about why you hate God than, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, yeah, I, I grew up in sort of the heyday
1: of when Christian culture was a powerhouse and made a lot of money. Like I grew up in the late 90s. Like I I hung out at a Christian book, bookstore and I listened to their free CDs. Like that was where I spent every Friday and I loved it. And it was a wonderful thing. It was what I needed and it brought me closer to God. I'm not going to throw it under the bus, but like every day I see one of those artists on the internet making fool of themselves. And you realize that so much of that was so deeply flawed. And I'm in a place in my faith where that doesn't shake me anymore. I mean, I've been, I've had my heart broken many times by people who claim to be something, but I also know many, many people who do not believe in God anymore because of those people and that's that's devastating and we do not need to build that again that is mostly gone in canada it's entirely gone which is not a good thing i'm not saying that it that it, that it, that it is but we don't need to build that 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 again um we need to build something better um and it needs to come from telling the truth um and not presenting ourselves the way we wish to be perceived because we don't know, we don't, yeah, we don't know, yeah, I don't know, sorry. (laughs) I think that great art is saying more than it knows. Um, And I think Mm. that when you are trying to put your art through the filter of how it's going to be perceived by others, you are removing that aspect of it. Whereas if you're just, if you're creating in the true sense of, su- of sub creation, I think that, I think you, you say things you didn't even know that you knew because they're not coming from, from you. Um yeah. And I don't, I don't know how to replicate that over and over again. It's happened to me once or twice. I think it's happened to all writers. I think that's why we write because we're trying to get to that place. Like these to call it Hmm.
0: the muse.
1: And, uh, but it's a real thing. Um, but, um, the harder you try to do that, I think the, the harder it is to do, but, um,
0: yeah, sorry. <laughs> no, no, yeah. Yeah, that, that was great. Um, what ways... Uh, uh, well, do, do you think that honest Christian art will uh, make the Christian community, the literary community tighter? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think people being vulnerable with,
1: with each other can can only make relationships stronger and drop and draw people together. I think if you have a bunch of people trying to be more artistic than each other, you've just got a bunch of lonely people. Um, Mm -hmm. And um, I mean, that's when I am writing editor emails, the thing that I, that I try to um, be more than anything is is kind like and I think I think that that is key to building a, a, a community because people are not going to send in poems if they think they're going to be made to feel stupid or right. if they're going to be told that they're a bad artist like they're being vul- vul- vulnerable and I think that I need to be vulnerable in return um it needs to be it needs to be a place where people are comfortable like sharing that piece of themselves especially if they haven't been been published before um because writers are not uh, not generally a confident bunch. Um, not generally known for their um, self-image. Um, and it's a hard thing.
0: Yeah. Well, on the flip side of that, what advice would you give to people who are seeking to become professional editors like you? That's a hard question.
1: I would say... I mean, I have been extraordinarily blessed in my friends. Like I, I was given an opportunity that I probably didn't deserve. Um, and I've tried to do right by it. Um, but I would say, um, Oh, I don't even know if I have an answer to that Riley. Um, okay. my circumstances were pretty, un- un- unique, um, Mm -hmm. But I would say is um, do right by your own gifts um, as much as you can and um, do what you can to build relationships with other people. I mean, that was the best part about about being an an editor was just meeting people and just because it's people like you, like it's especially a small journal, especially like these are not. Strangers like these are people doing the same thing as you. Um, right. And if you build those relationships, you'll you'll make friends with them, and you'll make friends with their friends, and eventually you will build you will build that sort of commun- community community um, that I think is is starting to exist thanks to people like like you. Um, and that is just a good thing.
0: Um, yeah. Um- you know, I, I kind of wonder if Connor doesn't Connor doesn't uh, view it like this too. But when I when I started Solem, I had just the idea in mind that we would foster conversation between disciplines in Christian uh, academia. But now, I mean, it's changed a lot as I've gotten more into the scene because I I was so ill prepared and. Uh, ignorant of of the scene when I, when I entered into it, I thought that we were probably literally the only ones doing what we were doing. Um, You know, I, I didn't know that there was a scene to join. Um, But then when I dove in, um, I found people like Connor and you and uh, uh, you know, a heart of flesh literary journal and, uh, Mm -hmm. and just a multitude of others. Uh, So, I mean, my, my, the mission of Solem kind of changed as I and very quickly uh, because I, I found that, you know, we knew, we do need to be fostering great art, but we also need to be fostering great artists. Um, and yeah, I mean, we, you know, community is really now the goal of Solum promoting good Christian literary community and and academic community too. But in closing, Mike, um, what would you say to artists and editors who have endured similar mental health struggles to you?
1: I'd say write about it. Um, Don't give up. Obviously. I think that is the biggest thing is that, the way you feel is not, is not reality. Um, it's not, it's, um, it's part of it, but it's not, it's not the world that you're living in. It's not, it's not who you are. Um, and um, it's going to change. And that's, uh, I mean, that's what I would say to anyone who's struggling with, with their mental health is that, it's going, it's going to change. It's, it doesn't stay this way. Um, It gets better and it gets worse, but it's always changing. Um, And um, it's also, it's a wave that you can ride. And when you have the energy, when you're feeling those things, like you can make beautiful things out of those. Cause there is, there is truth there. Um, It's just, it's, it's, it takes a lot of wisdom to see what is what is useful and what um, you just you can't fall into there. You can swim in it, but you can't. It's easy to drown. And um, mm. I'd also say surround yourself with other people. Don't isolate your yourself because you need someone to tell you what's real and what's not. Cause especially as an artist, it's very, it's very easy to, to get, to get lost. Um, and I think when I write poems in that state, that's what I'm trying to do is I'm mostly just trying to draw a little picture for myself of, um, of what reality is. Um, Cause you're not seeing all of it when you're in that state. Um, you're not having perfect visions of the world as it really is. Um, you're seeing a lot of different stuff and
0: yeah, it's all a big mess. <laughs> no. Yeah. That, that, that makes a lot of sense. And that was, that was really profound. Um, it re- reminds me of what uh, a couple people on the, on the podcast have said prior um, that they use writing to arrive at truth, not to just, Proselytize yeah. some truth that they absolutely. Uh, you know, oh yeah, yeah. So, um, so yeah, it, it's almost like discovering the truth of yourself. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, that's that's really beautiful. So, on that note, um, I would love it if you would read some poems for us.
1: All right. Well, I'll start with with weapons test. Okay. wrote this for my daughter. Good morning, little fury. Won't you show me what you made last night in the labs and test beds of your steel and flannel heart? Let me be your barren desert and your blasted half-moon atoll where you loose your tiny ragings and unleash your, your, your infant hells. This is the place to test them all. So empty out your silos here. There's nothing here that can be lost, no one who can help but love you. And when the light and roar and heat have faded and all your weapons have been spent, you'll have seen what they can do and reach perhaps for different tools. Hmm. Um, And I'm going to read Ryan in the Woods, which is a poem that I wrote about the work that I do. Ryan in the woods. Ryan loved water that Christmas when I worked with him. He would take my hand and pull me out the institution door, down through the forest to where the river ran. It was Toronto in December and the dirty woods were grim, but there was nothing else he wanted from his long blank day. And Ryan was blind and needed hands to guide him there. He was laughing as I led him down the narrow path, through the ruined city woods, by the highway, the haunt of prostitutes, down by the attic's Humber. He held my hand and followed me down to the river, roaring brown with with winter rain, and he stood there and forgot me and listened to it roar at last. When it grew cold, we turned to go back up through the forest to the institution brick red upon the hill to lunch and a bath and Barney, though I could not tell him so. So we were halfway home when Ryan turned on, on me, inner tides reversing, inner weather growing grim, his laughter ceasing and turning over into rage his face a wordless curse. He began to scratch with ragged nails to strike with foot and fist at the one who who led him through what he couldn't see. So I pull Ryan through the woods, threading the narrow path as he spits and strikes at me. He is being led to the doors of warmth and safety that he cannot see. And I can't be angry and I can't be surprised for daily I am blind and daily I rage and daily I wound the hand that leads me. I think I'll end with conductor, conductor. When it comes down, it comes out of the dark heart of the nimbus. I can never see it coming until I can see nothing else. It finds my outstretched fingers, travels down my reaching arms, to turn my bones to filaments and makes my heart to burn. I should be obliterated, made so mortal a conductor of so furious a light. But he grounded me before he struck and being struck, I glow.
0: Yeah, I really love that last one. Um, Well, Mike, uh, just thank you for coming on today. Thank you for being honest and uh, vulnerable with us and and, uh, with me with uh, Red Stuff so um so yeah just just thank you for all that you're doing thank you so much
1: this has been a real gift to me and i'm really great grateful to be on to be on here yeah thank you it's really good to talk to you good to talk to you too
0: very grateful to have you right all righty well thank you for listening